Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to the show. Of course, this next hour of your life is going to be saturated with goodness from the garden. We're going to talk about flowers. We're going to talk about shrubs and trees, anything we want to talk about. Soil, soil amendments. And if you're just joining us, maybe this is the first time you've ever listened to this program in your life. Well, I want to remind everybody that last week we had our Q&A week. So we went to the mailbag, went to the mailbox, went to the inbox, the Facebook Messenger, and we answered your questions. Because there's two big things that we want to do here at New Southern Garden. And the first is, we want to give you inspiration. We want to give you ideas, tips, maybe cost-saving tips, cost-saving, not cost-saving, time-saving, cost-saving and time-saving advice. And hopefully that inspiration comes along by some of the plants we talk about, some of the things uh, that, that we bring up week after week. But we always want to be a specific help to you, meaning that if there's a certain problem that we haven't touched on, or maybe you need help diagnosing a problem. And maybe you're the only person in the world who has that problem. I bet not, though. Because a lot of the things we see certain times of the year, there are many gardeners who are suffering from them. So last week we answered your question, and we're going to do so. Month after month, the last Saturday of the month, will be our Q&A week. So if you'd like to send us a question, you can start by checking us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, Facebook and Instagram. If you want to send a picture or a video, those are just really easy ways to do so. So stay social with us. Let us help you because you will be helping us here at New Southern Garden achieve our mission of, of course, inspiring you to do new things, but also helping you solve problems in your landscape and like I said before just a few moments ago if you think you are the only person with that question you are probably wrong because there are many questions many issues many concerns in gardening that we all may face from time to time so with all of that being said be sure to send us your question because we got another few weeks, but we will be going back to that mailbag, mailbox pretty soon. So this week, we're going to talk about some plants that are blooming. We're going to start off talking about what's blooming at my place. And then that will help us transition into talking about two, particularly two plants that go hand in hand with the South. They are classic plants of the South. 
And we're going to talk about the specific differences in the varieties and types that you may find. So, yes, later on, we'll be talking about some plants that we have talked about before. But I think that uh, these plants deserve some kind of attention year after year as a reminder of certain things you may need to do to them for them in the next coming weeks, particularly talking about pruning some of these shrubs. So, with that being said, let me start off by talking a little bit about what's blooming in my garden. Or actually, let me back up. Let's do this. Let me give you an update on the vegetable garden at my place. So, the vegetable garden is coming along. You know, I've been complaining for the past few weeks about not having enough rain. And then last week, of course, we had a rain. So, I was a bit more hopeful. Like I said a few weeks ago... Gardening takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith because we have faith that when we plant these seeds, they're going to sprout. They're going to grow. They're going to get up tall. They're going to bloom. They're going to blossom. And then they're going to produce fruits if they are some kind of vegetable um, or fruit tree. With all that being said, I've got a plot of beans and corn that I talked to you about. We've got Blue Lake bush beans and sweet corns. We've got peaches and cream, which is a wonderful bicolored. Each uh, ear of corn has a mixture of white and yellow uh, kernels. Then, of course, silver queen, because I don't think a southern garden, particularly in the northeast Georgia area, would be complete without some kind of silver queen corn. She's just the, the standard bearer for sweet corn in southern landscapes. But regardless, I planted them several weeks ago. We didn't have rain for several weeks. We finally got rain, and I'm starting to see some germination. So that's exciting, but I'm not so sure that we're going to have uh, a field full of them because uh, they're not coming up consistently. So it may take some replanting. At this point, I may not have enough time to uh, sow them and harvest them. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to get to it soon enough or not, but I think uh, you may be similar in some things that we try things in the landscape. We try things in the vegetable garden. And sometimes they just don't work out the way we hoped. After all, folks, when we're growing vegetables, when we're growing flowers, trees, shrubs, any green living creature, anytime we're growing plants, we've got to remember that we are dealing with living organisms. You and I are living organisms. Your pet dog, your pet cat, your pet goldfish are living organisms. Your children are living organisms. Plants are living organisms, and so they, just like people and pets and babies, they require certain things in order to continue to live, to continue to grow, continue to develop and change. And so, in the case of my corn and beans, they may not have received enough water to germinate, My biggest fear was that they received some water to germinate, but then dried out, and the plant was not viable anymore. And so there are times, whether you're growing begonias in a container, petunias in a hanging basket, uh, Boston ferns in a hanging basket, whatever it is you're growing, there may come a time when that plant dies. Particularly those annuals, they're going to die when it starts to get frosty later this year. October, November, and then, of course, there are trees that may have lived for 30 years, and they die. Trees that live for 300 years, and they eventually die. 
So with all that being said, we've got to remind ourselves we're dealing, dealing with living organisms and they need certain things to grow, certain things to live. And a lot of times, if we want them to grow and live, continue their life, we've got to attend to them. So, of course, here at New Southern Garden, we want to help you do that. We want to help you attend to your spaces. And with all of that being said, I want to jump back to what's blooming in my landscape. So, a few days ago, uh, one day this week, my wife asked me, she said, what is that white plant that is blooming outside the house? I said, I don't know. I have to take a look. It's probably a gardenia. Because we got several gardenias planted in different areas around the house. I figured, I had noticed that they were started to bloom the past couple of weeks. So I figured that's what she said. It's not a gardenia. I know what a gardenia looks like. That's not it. So we go to the, uh, my son's bedroom window, look outside. She said, it's way out there. And it is, folks, an elderberry plant. Elderberry. We, well, in my opinion, we were blessed that this piece of property that we live on has native and natural colonies of elderberry. And of course, elderberry is one of those native plants. There is uh, some European varieties, but you'll probably find elderberry growing in uh, ditches along the road and maybe along streamways, edges of properties, uh, you know, woodland edges. And so it's not always a plant that is thought of as an ornamental plant but i think that it is quite ornamental quite ornamental because it does bloom on new wood we're going to talk about this later uh, when we talk about some other plants but new wood means that the wood that was grown during spring and early part of summer whatnot that wood will have blossoms on it and so you can prune it any time of the year and still have blossoms. You don't have to worry about chopping off blossoms. But when they do open, and they are full bloom right now, the elderberry has these big uh, sort of discs of tiny white flowers. And those tiny white flowers open up, and folks, the pollinators absolutely love elderberry. It's a wonderful pollinator plant. You will find Humming, well, maybe hummingbirds, but definitely butterflies and bees and all kinds of creatures crawling on those big flat discs of small flowers. So, you have these beautiful white flowers, and they quickly fade, in my opinion. They last for several days, but then, of course, you probably will have more blooming behind it. Now, after your entire shrub is done blooming, they start to produce berries. So, elderberry, it's in the name. Uh, the, it does produce a berry, and it's a berry that is not poisonous. As a matter of fact, the uh, plant itself, particularly those berries, and sometimes the flowers, they are packed with antioxidants. They're packed with vitamins. And <laughs> it's becoming a very popular uh, supplement, if you will, for health reasons, because it can boost your immune, immune system, uh, it can calm inflation, it can lessen stress, and maybe help protect your heart. But, of course, you don't want to just be picking off flowers, picking off berries without talking to a doctor. Uh, you can go and find elderberry products in the health food stores and whatnot. But with all that being said, it's not poisonous. They're quite tasty. Uh, some folks will take the flowers 
and they will turn them into elderberry wine. Some folks will take the berries and they'll turn that into like an elderberry jam or preserve. Now, the berries aren't huge. They're not nearly as large as a blueberry, which most of us are probably familiar with. But the plant itself is a native plant here. It's got a wonderful, it's got a wonderful, in my opinion, uh, botanical name. And that botanical name is Sambucus. Sambucus. Not all botanical names are wonderful, uh, but Sambucus is, in my opinion, just rolls right off the tongue. And it is kind of ironic that my wife was asking me what this plant was because her name is Sam, of course. So Sam was asking about Sambucus. Sam Buckus. <laughs> but regardless, elderberry is blooming and it's got wonderful characteristics, wonderful uh, reasons to grow it. It is a multi-stem shrub, so large shrub I should throw in. So of course this plant has uh, not just one trunk, but several trunks. They colonize. Now some plants are colonizers. Elderberry is one of them. A colonizer is basically where the plant can generate or readily, I should say, readily generates uh, extra stems, extra shoots along its root system. So you may have a root system that is way out beyond the plant and anywhere along there, usually it's closer to the center of the plant, but they will send up multiple canes, multiple stems from uh, that root system. And so elderberry needs a little bit of attention because you don't want it to start taking over. We have a very large, in my opinion, large colony of elderberry down in this ravine in our, on our uh, property, and they are colonizing it. Now, it's in a ravine. I don't need to use that land for really any other reason, and so the elderberry, I just allow it, actually cultivate it to grow and multiply because it's very beautiful when it's blooming. A great pollinator plant, a great plant for humans because it's beautiful, and of course, the elderberries are attractive to birds. And, of course, we've got those uh, particular health benefits, which you would have to do some research on and talk to your doctor. But what else is blooming in my landscape? Well, we've got gardenias galore at my property. We've got gardenias over here, gardenias over there, and they are starting to bloom. There is one gardenia that's probably at least eight foot tall, six to seven feet round. It is gorgeous. It is blooming, full bloom, sweet fragrance coming off of those white flowers. Classic southern plant. We're going to talk more about gardenias after this break, but also hydrangeas are starting to bloom. Our, my hydrangeas are starting to bloom, bud out. They're looking great. They're looking good. So when we get back from the other side of this break, we're going to talk about gardenias and hydrangeas in more detail and get you some ideas and tips on things you need to do in the coming weeks. Hang on tight, game. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. You know, I know, gang, that uh, we got baseball season among us. Apparently, I don't keep up with sports, but apparently it's been going on for a while here lately. It's America's favorite pastime, what we say. But I think America's favorite pastime should change. <laughs> I think America's favorite pastime should be gardening, and there are many reasons why. First of all, gardening as they say, is cheaper than therapy, and you get tomatoes. <laughs> and then, of course, gardening, it, it does. It really does help you physically, too, because the physical activity of digging, raking, uh, maybe pruning, that could work out your hands, but it all it gets your whole body. Gardening gets your whole body at work, and it's a wonderful way on the therapy side, it's a wonderful way to uh, maybe de-stress, detox your mind, focus on those sometimes mundane tasks, right? Weeding plants, weeding beds, weeding wherever you got weeds. It's such a mundane task, but your mind starts to, you don't have to use your mind when you're weeding. All you have to do uh, is sort of get in a rhythm, get in a rhythm, and your mind can sort of just take a break. So there are many reasons why gardening should be America's favorite pastime and why baseball should be bumped off the list because not many of us are playing baseball, but more of us watch it than play it. You can only be a spectator when you're in the stands, but when you're in the garden, you are an active participant. So I was telling you before the break what all was blooming, elderberries blooming, beautiful, um, uh, tiny white flowers all clustered together in this beautiful disc. Gardenias are blooming those white flowers, a lot of white today, but still fragrant, super fragrant, and they permeate the air. Like I mentioned, we have that plant, a, a particular plant at our place, which is probably eight foot tall, six, seven feet round, loaded every tip, every branch tip has a blossom, and they smell great. As soon as I get out of my truck when I get home from work, especially in that uh, evening, late evening hour, it seems like gardenias are the most potent. And they just permeate, permeate the surrounding area. And then, of course, hydrangeas. Hydrangeas are blooming. So I would like to focus a little more on the gardenias and the hydrangeas for the rest of the show today because these are two plants, like I said, that are hand-in-hand hand with the South. They are... Some iconic plants as far as southern gardening is concerned. Of course, magnolia would be another one. Um, let's see, what else? Camellia would be another one. Between those four plants, camellias, magnolias, hydrangeas, and gardenias, you've got yourself a southern garden. <laughs> but gardenias are wonderful plants. They're evergreen plants. 
Evergreen, of course, means that they keep all of their leaves all year long. Well, I should back up. Not all of their leaves. Throughout the year, gardenia is very notorious for just dropping older leaves. So the older leaves are positioned on the interior of the plant. So if you are seeing, a few weeks ago we talked about gardenias and some problems that our late winter freeze gave them. But you can notice they are very conspicuous when they drop leaves from the interior of the plant. That is normal. I want to reiterate today, like I did a couple of weeks ago, that gardenias dropping their leaves from the inside of the plant is very normal. And it just tells us that they're growing. Okay, you may fertilize them to encourage them to grow some more, maybe stay green. But throughout the year, gardenias will drop leaves on the inside. But regardless, the leaves on the outside of the plant are going to stay all winter long. Now, with that in mind, there are two main styles. I like to simplify gardenias into two main styles of flower. The bloom style, if you will, consists of either a daisy-like flower or a rose-like flower. So the daisy-like flower gardenias, they have a flat set, five petals, and a yellow center right in the middle. It looks like a tiny yellow cone. Now, that style, there's actually a gardenia called daisy because it is one of those varieties that has a flat set of petals. So, it does not have multiple rows of petals. It has five petals that you can count around the exterior. And they do have that flat appearance. Now, the other style of or bloom style of gardenia, is the rose-like flower. Now, these particular flowers have more than one row of petals. They are doubles, if you will. So if the daisy is a single set of petals, the rose-style flower is a double set of flowers, and they do look like white roses. They've got five usually distinctive petals around the base of the flower and then a number of petals wrapped around the center. So it looks more rose-like. Now this is the one that's pretty classic, the rose bloom style. It's usually the one we would see at older in older southern gardens. Um, and there, there was a spell, and it's still going on, I'd say, of introduction of new gardenias. And some of those new gardenias have that daisy flower. And some of those gardenias have that rose bloom style. Now, it may be personal preference. It may be personal preference for you, for me, whether we like one better than the other. I like them both. I think that we should use some of the daisy-like gardenias and some of the rose-like gardenias in our landscape so we have some variety. We can repeat the same gardenia plant, but maybe pick two different ones that have two different bloom styles and use them throughout the landscape. Because even though it brings repetition in the fact that we're using gardenias on different areas of our properties, it does bring the variation of bloom style. But listen, folks, both the daisy and the rose-like bloom styles are going to be super fragrant. As a matter of fact, the one that is blooming at my house is a daisy-like flower. It's got the five petals with a strong yellow center cone, if you will, and it is super fragrant. Now, I sort of wish that that particular plant had the rose style because the plant is beautiful, it's tall, it's robust, and I think that if it did not have the flat face but had the uh, 
just gobs and gobs of petals on each flower. It would be super impressive, but it's still a great plant. But then we have some other gardenias around the site, around not too far from that particular uh, plant, that are the rose style. And they haven't quite opened up just yet. But this daisy-like blossom has been blooming for several days now, and it's filling our uh, area near the house with some great jasmine-like perfume. I think that when you go for a gardenia, that is exactly what you need to look for, is that fragrance. Whether you go with a daisy-like flower or whether you go with a rose-like flower, make sure you have that fragrance in your landscape. I have only talked to one individual who I recommended gardenias to, and she said, absolutely not. I am not planting gardenias. I don't like the way they smell. They mess, give me headaches and all this stuff. And I said, whoa, poor gardenia. You have a hater. There's only one hater that I've met who said I refuse to plant gardenias, but otherwise, most folks love that fragrance. Now, let me talk about three great gardenias that you can introduce into your landscape if you haven't already. The first gardenia I want to talk about is the August Beauty. The August Beauty gardenia is one of, uh, is sort of more in the line of the old-fashioned gardenias because they get large. They'll get up into that eight-foot range. Um, August Beauty could be kept around five feet, so it's a bigger plant. It would need to be on the backside of a border or maybe the backside of a planting bed near the house. It could work as a large, more robust plant on the corner of a house. But just know that when you purchase an August Beauty, it will probably be just about 24 inches tall, if that. And it may look cute, but it will become a large monster. And monsters aren't really that scary because with gardenias, you can prune them very low to the ground. You prune them very low to the ground, and they will regenerate if you do that in the late winter, early spring. So that's August Beauty. She's got that rose-like flower, great fragrance, large, dark, glossy leaves. August Beauty is a wonderful gardenia. But hang on tight through this break, because when we get back, I've got two more great gardenias that's going to just knock your blooms off. So we'll see you on the other side. Greenness unfolded for the world. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, brace yourself, gang, because we are going into the second half of today's program. Of course, I was talking at the beginning of the show about what's blooming in my landscape, and now we're talking about gardenias. So before the break, we were talking about the different, or rather, some great gardenias. I was going to share with you three great gardenias, and I don't care if you say gardenia, 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 however you want to say it, we know what we're talking about. Because we're talking about those great evergreen shrubs that are classics in the southern landscape. And they have large white blossoms that are going to be extremely fragrant. 
There are many plants that are fragrant, but gardenias help to permeate the air with their fragrance. That is one big thing in gardening we've got to talk about, and now's a good time to do it. When we think about fragrant plants, whether it's a shrub with fragrant flowers or a perennial with fragrant flowers or a tree with per, uh, fragrant flowers, there are two types of fragrance. Right, you've got the permeating fragrance. The permeating fragrance is that kind of fragrance that is going to fill the atmosphere in its local vicinity. So in other words, gardenias are permeating plants. Tea olives are permeating uh, fragrant plants. Or fragrantly permeating? Permeatingly fragrant plants. I guess that's it. Permeating fragrant plants. Right. Regardless, there are other plants. Many roses. Many roses don't permeate the air, but they still have a fra great fragrance. So if something has a fragrance, but it does not fill the air with its fragrance, you got to get your nose close to that rose. <laughs> get your nose close to the rose. Get your nose close to whatever flower it is. That would be uh, a plant that's non-permeating, but still fragrant. So a non-permeating, fragrant flower. So those gardenias, permeating fragrance, big time. August Beauty is where we left off, and that was the first of three great gardenias. August Beauty being a larger uh, plant, it has a larger leaf, it's got a larger blossom. It's funny because with gardenias, the larger sized gardenias usually have bigger leaves and bigger flowers. Then the very small dwarf gardenias, which we'll talk about, they tend to have Smaller leaves, smaller blooms, because it's an overall smaller plant. So the leaves and the flowers stay in scale with the final size of the plant, if you will. All right, August Beauty is one of the largest. Then we have, really, a true dwarf, all right, frost-proof gardenia, is in the three or four foot range three or four foot high, and three or four feet tall. Now, a plant that stays in that range is very welcome up close near the house. August Beauty is going to get quite large and bulky. She may cover up windows if she's planted in front of a window. She may push into the siding of the house if it's not planted far enough off of the house. So for small beds, close, tighter areas, you can start with those frost-proof gardenias, which are in the three to four foot range. They could use a little pruning from time to time to stay that size, but they easily can be kept in that range. Now, frost-proof gardenia has sort of a medium-sized leaf and a medium-sized flower, but frost-proof is one of those plants, one of those gardenias that has the rose-style white blossom. And again, extremely fragrant. The last gardenia that I want to mention today is going to be the radicans. Now, radicans is a word or another word for small. And this is truly a super dwarf. Well, I mean, it's not go that far. <laughs> it is more dwarf than the frost proof. This radicans gardenia is only about 24 inches tall, maybe knee high, and it spreads wider than it is tall. So you expect maybe three or four foot spread with a 24-inch height. Now, this plant works very well in the beds near the house because it's so small. 
And you can use this smaller radicans gardenia right on the edge or the front of your planting. So say you have some shrubs in the background that are three to five foot tall. Well, radicans can be planted up front, up center, because they will not surpass the height of your three to five foot tall shrubs. So radicans gardenia also has a rose type flower and again, super fragrant. Like I said, with the gardenias, usually the smaller the leaf, the smaller the bloom, the smaller the plant. The bigger the leaf, the bigger the bloom, the bigger the plant. So we've gone from August Beauty, which has big leaves, big flowers, it's a big plant. It could be eight foot tall. Then we talked about Frostproof, which is three or four feet tall and wide. And Radicans, which is only about 24 inches tall, but does get three to four feet wide. And that Radicans blossom is much smaller and those large growing gardenias. So even though you sacrifice size of flower and size of leaf in order to achieve those smaller plants or to use them in the landscape, just know that you are not going to sacrifice the blossoms, uh, fragrant, the fragrance of the blossoms. They will all bloom very well over summer, and of course, they they will all be very fragrant. I have found that maybe the bigger plants are more fragrant because they can bear more flowers. That's the only reason. But regardless, the small ones are worth a try. They are worth a shot. And if Eden Rose was here today, she would tell you to find some gardenias that work and be sure to... Give it a go! Give it a go because gardenias are definitely the plant to try in our area. Give it a go. Try it somewhere in your landscape. Well, that's it really for the gardenias. Now I'd like to talk about hydrangeas. Hydrangeas, we have talked about hydrangeas in the past before. But as we get into June, I need to remind you about which hydrangeas you need to be pruning. It is a very confusing thing when we talk about pruning hydrangeas. And that's because... Some hydrangeas bloom on wood that was produced last year, and some hydrangeas produce flowers on wood that was grown this year. And even some can produce flowers on wood from last year and on wood from this year. Those are the reblooming types. So I think that probably every year I should you should just expect a reminder, maybe a little crash course, if you will, on hydrangeas and particularly when to prune each type because we are coming up soon on some hydrangeas pruning season and I'm going to talk about that today so you will be prepared. As soon as your hydrangeas get done blooming, you will know which ones can and well, should be pruned now, and which ones should not be pruned at the beginning of next year. So hydrangeas. Hydrangeas, again, are one of those just quintessential, classic southern garden plant. And, of course, there are many types, and there are many varieties of those types of hydrangeas. So I'm not going to get too bogged down today on types, or rather cultivars, of hydrangeas, but I do want to give you the four most popular types of hydrangeas. The four types of hydrangeas that we commonly see in the landscape 
are going to be the big leaf hydrangeas. Now, those are what I call the Southern Living Hydrangea because in the month of June, a Southern Living magazine cover is surely to have either blue or pink hydrangeas right on the front. So that's big leaf. Now, the other, a, another type of garden of, I don't know where I am, of hydrangea is the oak leaf. The oak leaf hydrangea. And they get their name because their leaf has deep cutaway lobes like an oak leaf does. And it's true. The oak leaf hydrangea, it's blossom, it's not blossom, its leaves look like an oak leaf. So great name for that plant. Now those plants usually have a, a white to a cream blossom that maybe ripens or matures to a red slash pink or pink slash red. Some varieties are more red, some varieties are more pink, but that is in their later blooming period. When they first open up, they're sort of white, then they get to that cream or ivory color, then they fade to a red and a pink. So that is the oak leaf. Long cones, very long cones. Some I have seen some very healthy oak leaves, hydrangeas that have three to four foot long blossoms. It's very impressive. Now, another type of hydrangea is going to be called the smooth hydrangeas. The smooth hydrangeas. Now, this plant here actually grows wild along the Chattahoochee River, the banks of the Chattahoochee River, around Lake Lanier, of course. That is just the... Uh, Chattahoochee River with a dam at the bottom of it. Um, but with that being said, smooth hydrangea is a native plant. I should have mentioned oak leaf hydrangea is a native plant as well. Smooth hydrangea is m widely known as the Annabelle hydrangea. Any hydrangea that we have, Incredible, Invincible, Annabelle, those are the smooth hydrangeas. And then lastly, I would talk about the panicled hydrangea. Now, the panicled hydrangea is a wonderful plant. We're going to talk about why it's so wonderful when we get into the pruning discussion. But the panicled hydrangea is called that because they have a cone-shaped flower as well as the oak leaf, not nearly as big, but I have seen some robust panicled hydrangea flowers uh, on very healthy plants. But the panicled hydrangea, being cone-shaped, that's what the word panicled means. Panicled like uh, the shape of a mason's trowel which is sort of triangular, uh, and so are these panicled hydrangeas blossoms. They're very triangular in the 3D sense as a cone. So, you may know a very popular panicled hydrangea. It's called the limelight hydrangea. The limelight hydrangea has been very popular for many years still being widely produced, widely grown today, but this particular hydrangea the limelight starts out very limey green, ripens to a, or these are the blossoms, right? So the blossom starts out limey green, it ripens up to a creamy white, then as they fade, those blossoms start to turn almost pink, almost pink. Sometimes they can be a rich pink, and uh, when we get to the panicles, I'll give some more details about some new panicles that are out. Some that we have at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. There are a number of new hydrangeas, panicles in particular, coming out. And they're, they're wonderful because they are working on their size. One thing that panicled hydrangea suffers with 
is the old-fashioned kinds, they got big. I mean, they can get 12, 14 foot tall, and that is just hard to use in our modern landscapes because our properties are getting smaller and smaller. Americans just aren't living on as much land as they once did. So, we do want to talk about these four in regards to bloom time and prune time. And the bloom time of these hydrangeas corresponds very well with the prune time. So, uh, well, I know we're coming up on a break, but it's very critical, very critical when it comes to hydrangeas that we know when they bloom. Because if we know when they bloom, then we will know when they need to be pruned. So the blooming time of these hydrangeas is critical in the sense that it will tell us and help us know when to prune certain hydrangeas and when not to prune certain hydrangeas. But after this break, I'm going to give you the rundown. So we'll see you shortly. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, I know that there's a song out there that says Christmas is the best time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But for a gardener, I think the next couple of weeks are going to be the most wonderful time of the year because hydrangeas have started to bloom. And if you have all four popular, popular garden hydrangeas, the big leaf, the oak leaf, the smooth hydrangea, and the panicled hydrangea. If you've got a variety of those planted around your garden, you will have hydrangeas blooming probably nearly to the frost. So today we have been talking about a few plants, but particularly uh, before this break, we were talking about hydrangeas. And like I said, hydrangeas are going to be on the front cover of probably every Southern Living magazine this month. I don't know how many uh, issues they put out. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe they put out every week. I don't know. I don't subscribe to it. But they will have those blue and pink hydrangeas right on the cover because this is the season for them. And of course, everybody loves them. I don't think I've met anybody who says they just hate hydrangeas. I meet a lot of people who say, I can't grow hydrangeas because the deer always eat them. That is completely understandable. But with that being said, I do want to, to talk a little bit about the bloom time of these different four different hydrangeas and then talk about the prune time because the blooming time is a key indicator of the pruning time for these hydrangeas. 
Let's talk about the big leaf hydrangea first. Now remember, the big leaf hydrangea is the blue or pink ones. The blue or pink. The blue color is going to be exhibited from the plant when it is growing in a slightly acidic soil. However, the pink color starts coming through when you grow that plant in a more alkaline, a sweeter soil. You can use certain products to either acidify your soil for the blue color, or you can use other products that sweeten the soil for the pink color. So it's completely, completely up to you. But the big leaf hydrangea is going to have that smooth, almost waxy uh, foliage. It is going to be blooming right about now. Like I said, mine are starting at the house and at the nursery. They've been blooming for a little longer than that. But regardless, those hydrangeas, because they bloom earlier in the year, they will bloom on particularly last year's wood, which we call old wood. There was a lady who told me that uh, she had this 10-year-old hydrangea. It looks beautiful. It looks great, except it's never bloomed. And I said, well... I don't think anything's wrong with it. What Have you ever pruned it? And she said, well, I haven't, but my husband prunes our hydrangea, our big leaf hydrangea, every winter. For 10 years, her husband had been cutting off the blossoms. Terrible, terrible tragedy. They were getting ready to remove it. I said, don't do that. If anything, remove your husband. Remove him because he's the only a pest that this plant has. So the next year they came in, they didn't do any pruning. She did not let her husband, I guess she took away the pruning shears from him, put him, uh, grounded him from doing that, and it bloomed wonderfully, bloomed wonderfully the next year. So you do not want to prune your big leaf, your blue and pink hydrangeas in the winter. You want to prune them as soon as they're done blooming. And the same goes for the oak leaf hydrangea. The oak leaf hydrangea is also a early blooming hydrangea. And because it blooms early, it particularly blooms before June, they're still blooming now, but they had started a couple of weeks ago, I noticed. They are blooming on old wood. They are blooming on last year's wood. So if you prune your oak leaf hydrangea in the winter or through fall, you will be removing its blossoms. You need to prune your oak leaf hydrangea as soon as the flowers have faded. And that will be in a couple of weeks, maybe two or three weeks. So big leaf hydrangea and oak leaf hydrangea need to be pruned after they bloom. Now the last two. The smooth hydrangea. The smooth hydrangea, again, is the Annabelle hydrangeas, uh, the Incredibel hydrangeas, the Invincible, Invincible hydrangeas, I should say. Now those flowers... Do not. They are a round, mop-head-like flower, just like the blue and pink big-leaf hydrangeas. But smooth hydrangeas do not change color based on soil type, okay? They are not affected by uh, the acidity or the alkalinity in your soil. They will usually be a white to a cream to an ivory, but there are many strains that are a lovely shade of pink, and that pink will not change. Again, the pink will not change based on the soil. So, you want to prune your smooth hydrangeas, particularly after they bloom, like the other two. But, I will say that smooth hydrangeas have the ability 
to produce flowers on this year's wood. So it would be okay to do some light pruning in the late winter, early spring, maybe encourage bushiness, and you will still see uh, blossoms that year. So this one, the smooth hydrangea, the uh, Annabelles and Credibel and Credibals, those hydrangeas can almost be pruned any time of the year. However, I like to do the pruning after they bloomed because they do have the ability to set buds on last year's wood. So you'll be removing some, but they'll be replaced. That one is sort of an easy plant to work with. But the, probably the most easy hydrangea to work with is the panicled hydrangea, the limelight hydrangea, the firelight hydrangea, uh, vanilla, what is it, vanilla strawberry or sundae, something like that. There are several different types of panicled hydrangeas out there. There's the little lime, the bobo, those are two dwarf varieties that stay about three to four foot tall. The panicled hydrangea blooms completely on new wood. So the panicled is a much later blooming hydrangea. That hydrangea may not kick in until we are sweating just for living because it's so hot. Okay, they are very late blooming. They and if you prune them kind of late, you can actually have them blooming even much later than they normally would. But with that in mind, the panicled hydrangeas bloom very late in the year. They bloom on new wood that is produced in this growing season, and you can prune them essentially any time of the year when it's appropriate to prune. You can prune them any time of the year, and they will definitely still bloom for you uh, in the later part of summer, maybe into early fall. So, in summary, big leaf hydrangea, prune it after it blooms. Oak leaf hydrangea, prune it after it blooms. Smooth hydrangeas, prune them, well, either before they bloom or after they bloom because they can produce uh, buds on either wood. And then the panicled hydrangea, you can definitely prune it before it blooms, which is going to be any time from late winter up until, say, early summer, just to be safe. So, gang, I hope that that helps you a little bit and maybe reminds you to do certain things in your landscape, especially in the upcoming weeks. Because your hydrangeas, they are going to be blooming if they're not already. And you want to be ready for those that have to be pruned after they bloom. You want to be ready for that. So that's going to be any time now. And if you're scared, just get those pruning shears out. And as Eden Rose would say, give it a go. Give your hydrangeas a pruning when you when they need it well gang for wrwh 93.9 fm i am nathan wilson and i hope you stay well and grow well see you next week hey thanks for joining us for this edition of nathan wilson's new southern garden show if you have a comment about today's program you can reach out to nathan by sending an email to grow at lanier Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.